Hello and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Bethan. And I'm Mark. We are on our end of season break right now, busily preparing season 9, which premieres on the 8th of March. But we didn't want to leave you hanging. We've delved into our archives and over the next two weeks we'll be taking it in turns to reopen a case that has stayed with us. This week it's my turn. I wanted to replay the tragic death of seven-year-old Hakeem Hussein, an episode which originally aired in season seven. Hakeem's short life came to an abrupt end in the early hours of the 26th of November in 2017. Gasping for air in the garden of the crack den he was living in with his mother, Hakeem collapsed and died, clutching a leaf in his hand. The neglect he suffered at the hands of his mother caused his untimely death, and the detail we go into in this episode is truly heartbreaking. Now, I know I've said it before, but I think because we churn out an episode pretty much every week, sometimes we don't really have time to process what we've immersed ourselves in for a particular episode. Some cases just stay with us, and perhaps they stay with you too. And this is one that definitely stayed with me. It takes place in my home city of Birmingham. Um, Obviously, there is a child involved. Uh, That's probably the reason why it stayed with me. And I feel a lot of frustration at Hakeem's mother and also at the service organisations who didn't intervene in time. And I think back often to the photos of Hakeem Hussein and his wonderful face. And um, yeah, it haunts me. And it's so incredibly sad. So I wanted to revisit the case. I want to get us talking about it again. We'll put discussion threads up on Facebook and Instagram. Lots of you will be listening to this this week and I will be too. R.I.P. Hakeem Hussein. Welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. Thank you for joining us once again this week, guys. Yeah, and we are back after our mid-season break. So thank you for allowing us a couple of weeks off. Mm-hmm. I think I've had uh, probably a month off at least. So thank you for holding the fort, Bethan. Oh, it's my pleasure. But thank you for, yeah, thank you to all our listeners for allowing us and not having a go at us this time, because sometimes they have a bit of a cheeky go at us. Everyone's been quite nice this time. <laughs> they have, yeah. So uh, let's um, let's catch up on our Patreon supporters and thank our most recent uh, sign-ups. So that's Alice Breen, Paula Clark, Robin Hawes, Alex Kesbox, John Lenigan, Laura, Jessica Parsons, Chelsea Law 92, Krista, Bobby, Sonny, Hannah State and Ellie Taylor. Thank you uh, to all of you and a huge thank you to our existing Patreon supporters too. It makes a huge difference uh, to us and to the show. So if you want to join these guys, head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. This week's case sees us head to my old stomping ground of Birmingham. Birmingham is the second biggest city in the UK and is considered to be the social, cultural, financial and commercial hub of the Midlands. And it was also home to seven-year-old Hakeem Hussein, an angelic boy with big brown eyes and a smile that belied his neglectful home life. Now, if you're listening to this in the UK, then you'll probably recognise Hakeem's name. Certainly if you're a Patreon supporter and you've listened to our most recent episode of Crime Wave, uh, then I'm sure you'll recognise uh, Hakeem's name because this is a story that has been all over the news over the past, I don't know, I would say two weeks at least. Um, and Hakeem's mother, Laura Heath, has just been found guilty of his manslaughter and sentenced to a minimum. No, I don't think it was a minimum. It was a 20-year prison sentence and told that she would serve two-thirds as a minimum. And And this is a tragic story. And I just felt compelled to cover it sooner rather than later, really. And I think we will probably revisit this in time when the inevitable inquiry has concluded. But I just couldn't wait. I needed to almost uh, just get it out there, I think. I'm glad you have, um, in that it really hit me when we were talking about it before on Crime Wave, and I'm glad that we are going to talk about this. And actually, I think it'll be really interesting to see what our thoughts and feelings are now. And then, like you said, when the inquiry's concluded, 
whether things come out that prove us wrong, you know, make us feel a bit vindicated or potentially have there's something else that's completely unknown at the moment. I don't know. I think that will be really interesting for us as well. So whilst I'm not looking forward to this because I know how awful this case is going to be and how sad it made me when I first read about it, when you told me about it, actually, I'm glad we're talking about him. And you said when we were doing Crime Wave, you were like, just Google him because he's adorable and he is such a cutie, so sweet, bless him. And it's just, I don't know, like I've just had his face in my head ever since we talked about him. And I think that's important, isn't it? Let's not forget him. Yeah, and it is It is a really, really upsetting case. There's there's no there's no two ways about it. So it is, it is just tragic. And I know we use that word all the time, but like fucking hell, this really is uh, tragic and it is incredibly upsetting. Hakeem Hussein was born on the 5th of January in 2010. His early life was relatively stable. His mother Laura, although a recovering drug addict, was very much in recovery and she was in a committed relationship with Hakeem's father. A brilliant cook, Laura was house proud and although she lived on the cusp of poverty, she ensured that Hakeem had everything he needed. A roof over his head, food in the fridge, heating, electricity. And I know they're all very basic things, but they are important and it's easy to take them for granted. And for Hakeem, towards the end of his life, Laura couldn't provide any of these for him. He didn't have a home to call his own. He was sent to school without a packed lunch, without having had breakfast. His clothes were dirty and smelly. He didn't even have a bed, let alone a bedroom, and there was no heating or electricity. In a few short months, his life had become a living hell. But we're jumping ahead. Oh, it's just awful, because like you said, yes, they are very basic things, but they are the foundation of, you know, a normal life, what should be a normal life for a child. Yeah, I think I think they are. You're right, it's the foundation, and from there, everything else should come on top of it. But the foundation wasn't even there for him in... Uh, certainly in the last six, nine months of his life, it, it was just, we'll come on to it obviously in detail, but it was, yeah, beyond uh, poverty stricken. A year and a half before Hakeem died, his dad was arrested and sent to prison. And it was at this point that Laura's life began to spiral out of control. A drug addict since the age of 19, sometimes in recovery, sometimes in relapse, she was now in her mid-30s and struggling to keep her shit together. As 2016 turned into 2017, Laura's drug addiction descended into an abyss of depravity. An abyss that Hakeem was very much engulfed in, and despite multi-agency involvement, unable to get out of. By January 2017, 11 months before Hakeem's short life would come to a tragic end, Laura was spending £55 a day on drugs. She was getting through six bags of heroin and one rock of crack a day. And she would smoke both drugs. Yeah, I mean, it's an awful lot. And she would smoke both drugs simultaneously at times. But I think for her, heroin was the main addiction. And she would use the small rock of crack in the mornings as a bit of an upper to kind of kickstart her day. But heroin was was the main drug of choice for her. It's just, it's almost unimaginable. It's horrendous. Yeah, and she was she was funding uh, that habit largely through sex work. Laura lived with Hakeem in Neitchels, an area of Birmingham with the highest rate of unemployment, crime and poverty. Now 35, she had already had three children taken off her and put into the care system. Hakeem was the only child that she had left and she was desperate to hang on to him. In 2013, at the age of three, Hakeem began to develop breathing problems and he was later diagnosed with asthma. And I think his asthma was categorised as moderately severe, so it was pretty serious. And he was supposed to take a preventative inhaler every day. I think that was his purple inhaler. And he also had a blue inhaler that he would use if he became breathless or during an attack, or even if his breathing was just becoming a little bit laboured. And I know that we all know what asthma is. We've all heard of it, or at least we have a basic understanding of it. Some of you may have the condition or you might have loved ones who live with this condition. But I did think it was important to just go into a little bit of detail here uh, in regards to asthma, because this condition is integral to today's case. So you'll have to bear with me here. I do think as well, sometimes it's easy to kind of, because it's reasonably common, I do think sometimes it's easy to 
write it off as something less severe when actually it is really really serious condition yeah i think you're right and i think it's also it's it is really common so we all think we kind of know it but i didn't really know i didn't understand asthma until i delved into this case and what follows is um a description that was read out in court so i'm gonna i'm gonna read that now asthma is a very common long-term lung condition It affects the airways that carry air in and out of your lungs. People with asthma often have sensitive, inflamed airways and get symptoms like coughing, wheezing, feeling breathless, or they might experience a tight chest. It needs to be treated every day in order to lower the risk or to minimise and lower the risk of asthma attacks. When inadequately treated, asthma causes the inside walls of the airways to become inflamed and thickened with increased mucus production and the increased tendency for the muscles to constrict the airways even further. If left chronically untreated, this inflammation can lead to damage of the airways, serious chest infections and acute asthma attacks. Asthma attacks can be life-threatening, the airways can become tight and close off, preventing the patient from getting any breath into their lungs, into their body. An inadequate supply of oxygen can lead to unconsciousness and, of course, to death. And because asthma attacks can be life-threatening, it's important for a carer to act if they notice any signs of their child's asthma getting worse, for example. Uh, And if symptoms do worsen, the child should be taken to see their GP or to see an asthma nurse. And the best way to prevent an attack is to ensure that preventer medication is always taken regularly as prescribed and to avoid triggers that can worsen symptoms and set off an attack. In a child of Hakeem's age, prime responsibility for management of the asthma would of course lie with the parent. The parent has a responsibility to attempt to ensure that asthma triggers are removed or avoided, that supplies of medication are available in sufficient quantity, that the preventer serotid, which is the purple inhaler, is taken regularly as prescribed, that the inhaler and the spacer are used correctly, to recognise when the reliever salbutamol, which is a blue inhaler, is needed and that it is taken correctly using the spacer and finally to assess whether the child's asthma symptoms symptoms are under control or require medical attention so it's you know it is a it's a a chronic condition and it can be life-threatening people do unfortunately die from asthma attacks and it's really really important to remove all the kind of um things that will set off uh, or exacerbate the condition. So smoke, for example, dust is another one. And it's really important that all the medication is taken as it should be, uh, the preventative medication and, and the other medication too. So I think it's safe to say that Hakeem was a poorly boy and he needed a nurturing home life in order to ensure his health didn't deteriorate. But as Laura's drug addiction continued unabated throughout 2017, her neglect towards Hakeem worsened with grave consequences. Lisa Harrison, a learning mentor at Nietzsche's Primary Academy until August 2017, stated that she saw Hakeem virtually every day and part of her role was to give him a nicer start to the day because he would always arrive late to school. She said, Hakeem was always upset. He was always late and often arrived in a grubby state, clothes creased and he would smell of his dog Charlie. Hakeem's clothes smell of the dog even after it had died. Sometimes his hair was huge, it wasn't cut for a long time. Hakeem regularly said he had to wake mummy up and they got up late. Ms Harrison described Hakeem as a nice little boy, very bright with his speech and articulate for his age, with a fabulous sense of humour. But she said he always looked pale and said he did not eat breakfast at home. She said, I remember an occasion Hakeem asked me to smell his jumper, which I did. I could have vomited. It smelled of wet, dirty dog. By that time, the dog had been dead for some time. It was absolutely awful. Oh, this poor child. I mean, like, there's obviously so much going on. And this Lisa just seems like she's really trying. She just wants to make him have a a better start for the day. I mean, how, like, beautiful is that? And how sweet to just... yeah. You know, you can't fix anything right now, but you can at least just greet him with a smile and make him feel special and important. And and she did, as far as we we know, uh, she did all of the right things and she she reported any concerns that she had through the correct channels. 
Um, so yeah, she 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 was doing good by him in in every way, and we, we don't know. And I, I am just speculating here, but the fact that the dog the dog was called Charlie and the dog died, I think is just symptomatic of this chaotic home life with Laura at the helm. And I, I honestly think it was probably a case that this dog probably starved or I, I don't know. I think the conditions at the home were such that it probably um brought about this dog's untimely death. I might oh, be wrong, wow. but I really wouldn't be surprised. It's just horrendous as well that this kid's clothes haven't been washed properly, if at all, since the dog died. Like that's just crazy. And I think that's what that's what um Lisa's trying to get across, definitely, yeah. that that um the the dog had been dead for, for a decent amount of time and the clothes still smelt of him smelt of him, so they'd not been washed. And um I think somebody else at the school commented that his jumper smelt sometimes of stale urine, sometimes it smelt of vomit. Uh so yeah, he he was turning up to school in a dreadful state. And actually between the twenty seventh of February and the ninth of June in two thousand seventeen, there were fifty nine unauthorised absences for Hakeem from his school 59 in the space of less than six months that is crazy and his mum Laura attributes a lot of these absences to him struggling with his asthma so uh, you know I think that that was the case occasionally but most of the absences were as a result of her just not being in any state to get him up and ready for school and to take him to school In January 2017, after Hakeem arrived at school tired and wearing dirty clothes and without a packed lunch, the school made a referral to child services. At this point, a social worker was assigned to the family. However, Laura lied her way through meetings and failed to disclose that she was a drug addict and gave no indication that Hakeem was at risk. So um, I think she was on a methadone programme around this time. And I find it baffling how that information couldn't be shared with social services or child protection. Um, I find that interesting and I'm sure that will come out in the inquiry that uh, the, the findings should be published in the next couple of months. So we will go there. Um, but yeah, she, um, she, she was doing a pretty good job really up until January 2017, I think, of, of maintaining, uh, that everything was okay and keeping up appearances. And it, it really went to shit from January 2017. On the 10th of November that year, Hakeem was not collected from school. And when teachers went to his home, they found Laura was clearly intoxicated from drugs. They also observed that she had lost a lot of weight and her jeans were literally hanging off her. They escorted her to the school and she apologised to Hakeem, saying that she'd fallen asleep. And then teachers overheard Hakeem respond to this by saying, you're always falling asleep. And uh, that incident was relayed to child child services. Yeah, and I think that was because of the heroin, mostly. Around this same time, so this is just weeks before Hakeem's life comes to an end, the electricity was cut off at the home Laura shared with Hakeem due to non-payment of the bill. So consequently, she moved with Hakeem to a friend's flat around the corner in Cook Street, and this friend was 56-year-old Timothy Busk, who has also uh, since died. And Timothy has been varyingly described in press reports as a friend and a great-uncle to Laura, so I'm not sure what the relationship was there, but it wasn't thought to be a romantic relationship. And and Timothy actually was quite supportive towards Laura, so he would give her money to help feed Hakeem, and he would periodically, I think, try and get her straightened out, but sadly to no avail. So the point I'm making really is that in the weeks before Hakeem died, Laura had moved him to this address in Cook Street. On Friday the 24th of November, Hakeem once again failed to attend school, with Laura reporting that he wasn't well. That same day, professionals held a meeting to discuss concerns about Hakeem. Laura was invited but sent a message to her social worker, Stuart Sanders, who was in attendance, saying she was not well enough and would not be attending the meeting. Neelam Ahmed, the family outreach lead at Hakeem School, was one of those present at the meeting, and she would later state in court that during that meeting, on a safeguarding scale of 0 to 10, she scored Hakeem 0 because she felt there were no safety or protective factors, and Ms Ahmed confirmed her score effectively recommended Hakeem be taken away from Laura immediately for his own safety. 
Another with a similar level of concern was school nurse Melanie Richards, who expressed her view that Hakeem could die over that weekend. She voted between one and two on the threshold test, but despite these grave concerns, the outcome of the meeting was to put Hakeem on a child protection plan the following week and to leave him in Laura's care. The plan was for Laura to be invited to a meeting after the weekend to discuss what would happen next. And for reasons difficult to fathom, Hakeem wasn't taken into care straight away, which I, I think it's safe to say that he absolutely should have been, with those concerns being aired in that meeting. Uh, and somebody saying that I think there's a strong chance he will die this weekend, that should have rang major alarm bells, and he did die that weekend. So I'm going to go there in real time. It's Friday the 24th of November 2017. Laura and Hakeem are at the home of 56-year-old family friend Timothy Busk on Cook Street. They've been staying there a few weeks now and the place is twice as filthy as it was when they arrived. Laura is completely unable to clean up after herself. The air is filled with smoke and the soft furnishings are stained with it. And it's not just the smell of nicotine in the air, there is a dense smell of vinegar, of chemicals and burning plastic all the telltale signs that someone has been smoking heroin and crack. While Hakeem watches TV, Laura smokes some heroin. He is in the same room as her. As day turns to night, Hakeem takes himself off to bed in the bedroom that he's been sharing with his mum. Laura texts her friend Chloe Cooper, telling her to come round and get wasted with her, promising she will get some good sniff for the pair, which I presume alludes to cocaine. Chloe arrives at approximately 1.20am on the Saturday morning. She hasn't seen a friend for a while, and when Laura opens the front door, Chloe is visibly shocked at her appearance. Laura is stood there, gaunt, dirty, hyper. This isn't how Chloe remembered her from their last meeting. Back then, Laura was bubbly, she had meat on her bones, and seemed to have her shit together. Chloe hesitates for a moment. Something is telling her that this situation is not right, but she's had a few drinks and her inhibitions are lowered and she can't turn her back on a friend now. She enters the hallway and her senses are immediately attacked. Everywhere she looks there is filth and dirt and clutter. There is shit everywhere and the smell, it's overpowering. It's a combination of dirt and damp and smoke. She sits down in the living room and Laura begins to smoke heroin and crack in front of her. Chloe can't believe it. This isn't the Laura she knows. What the hell has happened to her friend over the past year or so? When they'd last met, Laura was doing good. Her house was clean and she wasn't taking drugs. Chloe is so shocked that she can't contain herself. She shouts angrily at Laura, pleading with her to sort her life out. She's getting louder and louder and she can hear Hakeem stir in the bedroom. She goes in to see him. He looks tired and sick and he tells her that he doesn't feel well and Chloe can see for herself that his breathing is becoming a bit laboured. She knows she can't leave him here, in this cesspit, and she knows she can't even leave Laura there either. Chloe is convinced that this is some kind of crack den and realises that she has to get both Hakeem and Laura out of there now. She remembers Laura's house, which is just around the corner, as being well maintained, but when they arrive there, in the early hours of Saturday the 25th of November, she is shocked to see it is even worse than the flat on Cook Street that moments earlier they'd left and she genuinely thought was a crack den. God, can you imagine being this friend? Like, just, I don't know, I just can't even get, it, like, the imagination to f think of one of my friends where... I turn up and it's like this. It's just no. horrific. And I'm not. I'm not saying Chloe is, uh, you know, this perfect person. I. I don't know. But Laura alludes in this text message exchange that you know that there's maybe sort of recreational use of drugs mm -hmm. there. Um, so I, you know, I don't know the full situation, but Chloe is really shocked, and uh, they've been friends for years. I don't know when they last met. It doesn't make that clear in the reports I've read, but it was long ago enough that. The Laura Chloe remembered was this, as I said, this bubbly person with meat on her bones, 
that had a shit together. And Chloe would later go on to describe this, uh, this visit to Laura's home in court by saying that when she, when she opened the door and she first kind of clapped eyes on her after many months or a year or so of not seeing her, she, she literally thought her face had almost been like sucked off. And her skin was just in a terrible state. She was so gaunt. And and yeah, so Chloe is just so shocked to see her in this state. And she sees Hakeem there uh, living in in this kind of cesspit and thinks, well, we need to get you out of here. Let's get you back to your house. And, And of course, Chloe remembered that house fondly, but it's not like that anymore. As she walks in through the front door, Chloe can't believe what she's seeing. It's freezing cold, there are plastic bags filled with all manner of shit literally everywhere, in every single room, there are dirty clothes in the bath, it looks like Laura's possibly been attempting to clean clothes in the bath because there's no electric for example... The kitchen surfaces are piled high with dirty plates and rotten food. The whole house is mouldy and dirty and it smells of smoke and filth. So she confronts Laura once again in the kitchen. Hakeem is on the sofa trying to sleep. He doesn't have a bed in this house. Uh, He just has a sofa. Chloe asks Laura what the hell has happened to her, how she could let herself and her house get in such a state. And she gives her £30 in cash and tells her to get the electric reconnected in the morning. And she also tells her to take Hakeem to the walk-in centre as soon as it opens. She's really trying. Really trying because she she says this boy is clearly not well. He wasn't at this point in in grave danger. He he was just not right. She could see that he was a bit sick and he needed to go to the doctors. And, And Chloe really did think about taking him with her and taking him off Laura at that point. But you know what it's like when you're in that There's situation. Only so far you can go. You can't do it. You can't do it. And I don't think with the state Laura was in that she would have uh, agreed to that. And mm. I think Laura Laura did ask to um, if she could go and stay with Chloe, with Hakeem that night. And Chloe said no, because she actually didn't want to scare her children. Her three kids remembered Laura as this bubbly person and she didn't want to bring her back to the house. And I think that's when she then thought, well, I could just take Hakeem. But that's just, it's easier to say that after the event. But at the time, even in this dire situation, you you just don't, you don't. It's too um, over the top a reaction. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think Chloe's a bit of a legend, actually. And, um, you know, I she feel gives really a- sorry for her because she must have such guilt now of like, not yeah. like that it's got any, not that she has any right reason to have any guilt or any, you know, I'm not saying that she should feel guilty, but she must feel so awful now knowing what happened. Yeah. But she did everything she possibly could. And she, yeah. I, I think oh my probably God, I think more. She did amazingly. Yeah. So Chloe leaves, I think, in the early hours of that morning and Laura now sobers up. And at at this point, she kind of panics a bit that her friend's going to report her to the police for neglect, um, which I don't think does happen. There's not enough time really for that to happen. But Chloe might have gone on to do that the following week um, had the events not taken the turn that they took. So it's now Saturday, the 25th of November. It's evening. Laura and Hakeem are back at the house on Cook Street. The £30 from Chloe has been spent on drugs and as day turns into night, Laura finds herself hunched over a square of tin foil as she greedily inhales the smoke. She's two bags of heroin down already, but she's not feeling good. Those days are long gone. She's now just feeling normal, not sick, and that's enough. Hakeem takes himself off to bed at around 10pm. Laura smokes one final bag of heroin before joining Hakeem in bed. She passes out quickly, stupefied by the drugs. A short while passes and Hakeem wakes next to his mother. He can feel the warmth emanating from her body, but any comfort is quickly replaced by the tight feeling in his chest. He is struggling to breathe. He doesn't panic, this has happened countless times before, but he does try to wake his mum up, but she can't be roused. His breathing becomes a bit more laboured and he becomes slightly agitated now. He looks for his blue inhaler, but it's not there. Laura didn't bring it with them when they came back to the flat on Cook Street the previous day. Hakeem starts to panic now and his breathing becomes even more laboured as a result. He does what he always does when he can't get his breath. He goes outside into the garden and gasps for fresh air. It's like entering another world where the air is clean and pure and breathable. But it's no good. 
Despite his best efforts to get enough air into his lungs, it's not working and he becomes more and more agitated. Now panicking, he struggles to walk and stumbles to the next door neighbour's window and taps on it in a desperate bid for help. But it doesn't work. Hakeem slumps to the ground and passes out. He goes into cardiac arrest and dies right there, in the garden, on his own on that cold November night in the early hours of Sunday the 26th of November, clutching a leaf in his hand. Investigators would later say they found no functioning inhaler at that flat, only two dissembled inhaler components, which Laura had fashioned into a crack pipe. And I think this is, I mean, they they could sort of talk in court about this being a metaphor for the care that she provided to Hakeem. So not only was she not nurturing him and, and looking out for him and trying to medicate him properly, she was going the other way and using the implements to administer that medication and taking that away from him and to fashion it into a crack pipe. And I think these are the most disturbing pictures we've probably seen um, of all of this. You know, you see the state Mm -hmm. of the flat, um, you see this gorgeous boy with this kind of, it's hard to to describe. There's a a hopelessness in his eyes. And, um, but seeing a child's blue inhaler, fashioned into a crack pipe with foil at the end, is beyond disturbing. Dr Martin Samuels, a consultant paediatrician, would later comment, if Hakeem was stressed or upset, this would have worsened his breathing. Or this could have taken place over a matter of minutes to an hour or two, and would have been accompanied by severe respiratory distress, to the point that he may not have been able to call for help. And I think we don't know, obviously, how long Hakeem was struggling to breathe out in that garden on his own, fighting to get air into his lungs. But the thought that it could have been up to two hours from him waking to him going into cardiac arrest is just, it is just too much to bear. It's just, this is just so horrifically sad. I know, and I, I knew it would be, I knew it would be a really tough one. And I, I, I'm really sorry, but I just... I'm going to talk about it. We're going to be doing a mid-season roundup for Patreon. And I wanted to talk a a bit more about this case and and go into a bit more detail about why I've had to cover it now. Um, So I'll save that for there. But I I will go into a bit more detail about why I had to. Um, But I am sorry that I've had to to do it. The um, thing is, is it's not something that you should have to be sorry for. It shouldn't have even happened for us to then have any discussion. It's just awful. And I think we've all been in situations where we've, choked or struggled to breathe I personally suffer with asthma if I have an allergic reaction so it's not in general it's I had it as a child but I don't have it any longer but if I'm having an allergic reaction that's one of the symptoms that can also happen so I have an inhaler for that and the panic of not being able to get a deep breath is just terrifying even as an adult when you know what you need to do let alone as a little child and then for him to go outside and try and get some fresh air try and see if someone else could help because he's he knows his mum's not any good and no use it's just it's just so sad isn't it this poor little child yeah to think what he was going through in the early hours of that morning and desperately tapping on the window of a neighbour to, as a last kind mm. of ditch attempt to get some some help, and it didn't work. And they're work. not going to hear him at that time of night. You'll be fast asleep. Well, they they did actually. I'll, I'll come on to it now. Oh, um, so that the next door neighbour was called Muhammad Ali, and he um, was watching Netflix at one. It was one o'clock in the morning that he heard the mm-hmm. tapping, and um, it was dark. It was pitch black outside, and it did rouse him though. And he went to the window and looked outside. And didn't see Hakeem. He didn't see anything. Oh my um, goodness! Oh bless him. That must stay with him. Oh, that's absolutely. Horrible. And I think he gave evidence in court and talked about it. But it very, very upsetting. Do you know what though? Him. If I heard a tapping in the night time outside my house, I genuinely don't know that I would even really want to go to the window because I'd be too scared. Like I know that sounds really flippant, but I watch so many horror movies and stuff. If I heard a tapping outside my window, I genuinely don't know what I would do. And that makes me feel really bad now, because what if I tried to put it out of my mind as, oh, it was just a twig, and then I found something out like this? Any reasonable person would would think the same. They would just think, well, 
It's one in the morning, no one's around, it's going to be an animal, it's going to be a twig or something like that. It's nothing to to be concerned over. So, um, so yeah, again, probably he feels a tremendous amount of guilt, but it's completely misplaced. He did nothing mm-hmm. wrong. I think it's just this, this tragic irony that Hakeem's desperate attempt to get some help as he was collapsing was heard, but unfortunately he just wasn't seen. A few hours later, at 7.37am, Laura calls 999, having been woken up by Timothy Busk, the guy who owned the flat, and he had found Hakeem outside the back patio door, which was open still. And she tells the operator, He's dead, my son. He took himself outside when we were asleep because he got asthma, and he's fell asleep, he's dead. He must have woke up and took himself outside so he can... He's got asthma, he's fell asleep, he must have done. He didn't wake me up. Paramedics notice there are a lot of cigarettes on the table in the living room. Of course, they examine Hakeem, but there are no signs of life. His body, in their words, is freezing. Rigor mortis has set in, and they notice the leaf in his hand. He's wearing tracksuit bottoms or pyjama bottoms and a T-shirt. And this is, you know, a cold November night. And this image of him clutching this leaf, I don't know why. It's so childish, isn't it? It's such a childlike thing that... An innocent thing to do and it just makes me feel so fucking sad and I can't, yeah, it must just be the fact that it's such an innocent childlike thing to do and I wonder if he'd gone out there and managed to get some air into his lungs and was kind of, I don't know, walking around and doing what a kid does and picked this leaf off a a tree. I think it's because I almost felt that it, it may, in that moment, have given him a tiny bit of comfort. I don't know why or how, but the fact that he was still clutching it when he was found... I just don't know. But it, it again, that was just something that resonated for some reason. Later that day, Sunday the 26th of November, Laura was arrested on suspicion of child cruelty and released on bail. And Timothy Busk was also arrested, but all charges against him were dropped. And he has since died. Detectives launched an investigation and, as I said, when they questioned the next-door neighbours, they came across Muhammad Ali and he, yeah, he kind of said about the tapping at the windows. And um, it does it does appear that Hakeem was potentially quite close to being saved, but it's not Muhammad Ali's fault at all, but just tragic. Charges against Laura were ultimately dropped and an inquest into Hakeem's death concluded that he died as a result of a severe asthma attack. And actually years passed before charges were once again brought against Laura Heath. And that happened only last year. And I honestly wish I knew what happened in the interim between Hakeem's death in November 2017 and charges being brought four years later. I I just don't know. Uh, There isn't enough information out there. We'll find out when um, the inquiry concludes. But basically she got away with it for a long time time and then charges were finally brought and uh, this went to court only earlier this year it's only just uh, the trial only ended a week or two ago and um, it was heard at Coventry Crown Court and lasted for four weeks. Defence QC Isabella Forshaw stated Hakeem's death was the very last thing Laura had wanted to happen. She said she is not just a hopeless mum, she was also a loving mum. That's worth remembering, she is not a woman who lacks love for her child. And as difficult as it is for me to admit this, I do kind of understand where Laura's defence is coming from here, because she, Laura was a dreadful mum, of course she was. But I do believe, certainly on some level, that she loved that boy. And Hakeem didn't want to be taken away from her. And the two of them had experienced many years together where life was relatively normal. And there was a bond there. And certainly, Laura loved him, certainly at times. But she was just a hopeless addict. And she absolutely loved drugs more. And Sandra, one of our Patreon supporters, commented on uh, under the most recent Crime Wave episode that we did... Where we talked about the case of Hakeem in, in some brief detail. And and I do agree with Sandra. Sandra just sort of said, you know, it doesn't matter that she's she's a drug addict. There's loads of drug drug addicts out there that still manage to bring up their kids and they don't do a great job of it sometimes, usually. But they don't uh, end up responsible for their child's death as a result of their addiction. I think it's such a difficult one because she's had other children taken from her. 
And as she said at the beginning, this is, the, you know, her only child that's managed, she's managed to keep with her. And whilst I personally feel nothing but disdain for the woman, and I, I, I really, you know, I absolutely hate her. I have this tiny bit of me that does feel really sorry for her in that moment when she woke up and she couldn't find him. I mean, it just for me, I'm kind of like, I wonder how long it took. How long did it take her wandering around the house to then go, oh crap, did she rush straight outside? Did she, what did she do? I would, but that moment when she's rung the emergency services and she's almost trying to explain away, like almost to herself, it sounds like, doesn't it? Like, well, he, he must have done this because he didn't even wake me and he, he must have just fallen asleep. And I do genuinely have a bit of sympathy for the fact that she's now lost this only child now that she had because her other children aren't with her anymore yeah and she's just such a shit parent that she's created this horrible horrible situation and it's of her own in my opinion of her own doing she's had the opportunities she you know she's got clean so many times she had people there supposedly helping her that she didn't take that support yeah her friend had literally given her 30 quid to put on the electricity but she went and took drugs like, and then we're getting into addiction and that side of things. But a little tiny bit of me does have sympathy for her as much as I absolutely despise her. It, I do feel so sad that she's then found po- probably the only thing in her life that she loves apart from drugs. And he's now dead. And she knows that she's it's responsible. Her fault. Absolutely. Although she, Although she she admitted some child neglect and child cruelty charges, but she did deny the manslaughter charge. So she she was denying the fact that she was responsible for his death, which she clearly was responsible. So then she it might just be a bit that. of like being blinded by stuff. Like you can't see that you're actually yeah, responsible. True. Or it's too damaging for her to think that she was responsible or just taking legal advice from her counsel. Mm-hmm. Potentially. Um, but... Yeah, it's a, you know, we could honestly debate this for hours uh, around culpability and whether we have empathy for her. Uh, and she'd had a very difficult life and been a drug addict since the age of 19 on and off. But she had and been offered I, help. I do and she... get the point of like, not every drug addict does that, but that it doesn't mean that being a drug addict lends itself to being a good parent. So mm. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? It is, and I, I, we just can't, we can't, we haven't got all day to go into it now. Um, but anyway, so I'm going to carry on. So the Defence QC stated Laura's drug addiction was a complex, delicate picture and argued her behaviour was one of a diseased person as opposed to a selfish one. And she told the court she's an addict, she's been an addict since she was 19. And she went on to say, once you're an addict, it's not a choice, it's an illness. It's an illness from which there really is no final recovery. You can be a recovering heroin addict, but never completely get better. It's always waiting to catch you out again. And she also said it's a vulnerability, and Laura's vulnerability long predates Hakeem's birth. And you will all know her latest episode in her failed battle with addiction started when Hakeem's dad was sent to prison. So, you know, she's really trying to elicit some sympathy for her client. And yeah, there is a tiny, yeah, we've talked about it, but there is a tiny amount of me that does feel some sympathy, but uh, she's still a dreadful mom. I just don't think she was evil necessarily. Yeah. And I think we quite often say it's not an excuse, but there's potentially reasons. You're not making excuses for someone, but you're kind of highlighting some of the reasons that certain things happen. Yeah. So the defence QC concluded, Ms Heath was not a good enough mum and she did neglect Hakeem and did so in important ways which had an impact on his respiratory health and she will answer to my lord in sentence. But actually when you look at all of it, you can't be sure she's so culpable that she could bear the responsibility for killing her son. So just to sort of confirm here, yeah, Laura admitted several charges pertaining to child cruelty. She didn't deny neglect but she was pleading not guilty to the charge of manslaughter so when the QC is saying uh, she will answer uh, to, to, to these issues around neglecting sentence that's that was pertaining to these uh, charges that mm-hmm. she had admitted that makes sense Prosecutor Jonas Hanking QC said Hakeem's mother was devoted to drugs which came before everything including her son's welfare 
adding she did not ensure he was taking his regular preventer to therapy, nor did she have Hakeem's blue inhaler with him in the hours and nights before his death. She had failed to attend several appointments for Hakeem's asthma, she had neglected her care of Hakeem's asthma, and this was contributed to by her regular use of illegal drugs. Mr Hankin said Laura willfully put Hakeem in harm's way and that there was an obvious risk of death due to his severe asthma. He told the court the boy's lungs were hyperinflated, narrowed, stiffened and inflamed as a consequence of neglect. Mr Hankin, recalling expert medical evidence, said Hakeem was in a vicious cycle because the more damaged his lungs became, the more sensitive he became to triggers and the more prone he became to muscle spasms. He said, Hakeem found himself powerless in a perfect storm where he had not been given his preventative medication, his lungs were in poor condition and he was being put into adverse environments, cold, smoky, dirty environments. Mr Hankin told the jury that by failing to ensure her son was given his purple preventer inhaler for prolonged periods in 2017, that Laura was depriving Hakeem of his only chance to live a normal life. He told the court that although Laura was devoted to drugs, she was still capable of rational decision-making in order to source and fund them when she could have used the same decision-making skills to prioritise her son's welfare. Can't argue with that. I think that's a really good way to kind of put it. It really is. She's not so out of it that she can't do other things. Yeah. And he concluded by saying, when you draw these strands together, the defendant's indifference to the obvious risk of death, her reckless disregard for Hakeem's welfare could scarcely be more serious. It does warrant criminal sanction. It does warrant the label of gross negligence manslaughter. Because had it not been for her conduct, Hakeem would still be alive. There can't be a greater breach of a parent's duty than that. The jury were told that an evidence sample from Hakeem's hair taken after his death showed significant exposure to heroin, cocaine and cannabis. And of course it seems most likely that Hakeem was exposed to drugs passively via smoke or via inadvertent contact with drug powder in the unclean environment in which he was living. So I think there's like there's one photograph on the internet of the living room and there's a remote control for the TV and it's kind of like covered in powder and there's drug paraphernalia just everywhere. So I have no doubt that Hakeem had probably ingested some of the drugs because that their kind of residue would be on the surface that he was coming into contact with, uh, you know, 24-7. Jurors deliberated for over six hours and ultimately found Laura guilty and she was sentenced to 20 years in prison. And that was just last week. The Crown Prosecution Service released a statement following the trial which said, This was a tragic case of a young boy who was let down by his mother who should have protected him. The terrible choices that Laura Heath repeatedly made led to the loss of Hakeem Hussein and I welcome the jury's decision. My heartfelt condolences go out to Hakeem's family. I hope today's verdict brings them a small measure of comfort that Heath has been held accountable for Hakeem's death. The NSPCC also released a statement which said, Suffering from severe asthma meant Hakeem Hussein needed an attentive and loving parent who was always alert to his well-being. Tragically, he was instead totally neglected by his mother as she lost herself consuming heroin and crack cocaine. It appears opportunities were missed by local agencies to step in and protect Hakeem, with the full details due to be revealed when the Child Safeguarding Practice Review is published in the next few weeks. We would also urge anyone with concerns for the well-being of a child to contact our helpline for advice and support on 0808 800 5000 or by emailing help at nspcc.org.uk. At the time of Hakeem's death, Birmingham Children's Services had already been rated inadequate for nearly a decade, during which time more than a decade. And I mean, my God, like Birmingham Children's Services have got such a horrendous reputation. And, And during this 10 years of being rated as inadequate, more than a dozen children known to the authorities had died, including seven year old Kyra Ishak, who had fucking starved to death. Two-year-old Keanu Williams, who was murdered by his mother, and Keegan Downer, who was 18 months old and whose guardian killed her. 
and six months after Hakeem died, a new trust was appointed to take over, and since then inspections have shown things have improved. So there were, there were major, major overhaul of Birmingham Children's Services. Should have been and done, well, shouldn't have needed to be done, but should have been done nearly 10 years soon. Like, it's just disgraceful, isn't it? It's the same shit we see time and again. We saw it with Victoria mm-hmm. Columbier. Uh, there, there's millions of examples of this. A serious case review into Hakeem's death will be published in due course, but new systems have been already put in place to help minimise the risk of another death like Hakeem's, which is pleasing to hear, but it's absolutely too late. And Birmingham Children's Trust said there had been clear missed opportunities by social workers in Hakeem's case. And its chief executive, Andy Coldrick, said, Hakeem was saying some things to people that we should all have heard and listened to and acted on more swiftly and with greater urgency. And, you know, that's that's the issue. And I think I sort of read read around what the potential findings will be from this inquiry. And it's just going to be same shit, different day, because it's going to be multi-agencies involved and rubbish communication between them. And for me, an example of that is just the fact that Laura was on a methadone uh, programme and her social worker wasn't aware and mm-hmm. was asking Laura, are you... Uh, have you got a drug problem? And she was just saying no, and, and her word was being taken for it. I mean, how many heroin addicts do you know that will tell the fucking truth? Well, exactly. It's ridiculous. Especially when they're trying to keep their final child that they've got, say, like with them. Yeah. They're not going to admit to something like that. It's... No. But also that that's not something... I'm not saying that everybody's medical history should be made public, but potentially that if you are on a methadone programme... It should be put noted somewhere, especially if the authorities know you also have a child. I don't know. It's just, mm. it's ridiculous, isn't it? It is. I mean, if I went to the doctors, if I had children and went to the doctors and said that I was uh, suffering with my mental health and having thoughts of, I don't know, harming myself or others, then they, they would take appropriate action then to ensure that yeah. the children were safeguarded. And I think if you've got a mum who is a heroin addict, then it's quite obvious that she's going to put that before the safety of her child because that's the way it kind of works. Or it's ridiculously if, even addictive. if she doesn't, she needs support to make sure she doesn't. Like, yeah. You need that help because, yeah, it's addiction. It's a big thing. And she uh, she was offered an awful lot of help, I have to make that clear, and, and she didn't engage with, with mm-hmm. all of it. Um, she asked for help, she got it, and she didn't really engage with it. So um, that that was, I think, like major mitigating factors in her sentencing. I will be glad for you to kind of cover this again when we get more information yeah. about the inquiry, definitely. Yeah. So after Hakeem's death, his teachers at Nietzsche's Academy described him as the most beautiful little boy. He was especially remembered for his infectious giggle and show-stealing performance as the Christmas star in the Nativity play. And we'll put pictures up of Hakeem uh, on on our social medias and, uh, yeah, remember him for this, yeah, cheeky chappy that he was. And a lot of his life was was okay. It was just that final year when his dad was sent to prison that Laura um, descended into this kind of chaotic life and he was at the centre of it. But there were, I think, some happy years before that. So there you go. Let's, that's yeah, I mean, there's not really much more we can say that we haven't already said. So I think let's finish on remembering yeah. him in that really adorable image of little Christmas star. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.